All right. Well, we are in this uh, holiness series, as I said, and uh, we're going to do some stuff with a whiteboard if it works out um, at the very end. So we'll just let that be a distraction to you through the, the rest of the series of the message. Um, like I said, we are talking about um, security today, and we find our security, our eternal security, um, in the fact that we have a relationship with Christ. And through that, we have holiness. And we talked the first week um, about how Christ is the one who brings us to holiness. Not holiness bringing us to Christ. You can't be good enough to come to Christ. You have to rely on Christ to make you holy. And then the second week, we talked about discipline. Discipline. Discipline is one of those things that nobody likes, but it is necessary for us because discipline is what refines us. Discipline is what molds us. Discipline is what takes us from where we are to where God wants us to be. And so God uses discipline in many different ways. Conviction of the Holy Spirit. He uses uh, trials, whether that be from consequences of our sin, or whether it just be plain old trials, nothing that we've done to ourselves. He uses His grace and His realization that His grace is incredible and that through through the fact that he is so cool and so incredible that we are not, and because of how much he loves us, we realize, man, you know, I'm a little worthless monkey, you know, and I'm, I'm, I'm no good. I, I was going to say something else because I call my kids something else, but I had to, anyway. Um, so <laughs> I can explain it to you in private. Um, <clears throat> not in public. Uh, so, so, and then lastly, um, lastly, what we do, what we need to understand is what we talked about last week, and that is our salvation. Our salvation. Our salvation, we walked through like a dictionary of theological terms last week, right? I mean, all this stuff, we had to fill out a crossword puzzle. I mean, I drove y'all into the brink, right? It was incredible. So, salvation is the very beginning of our walk with Christ and the very beginning of the process of holiness. It is the ongoing process. In the Bible, it's called sanctification, It is the ongoing process of holiness. And then it is the very end of our life here. When we get to meet God in heaven and we see him face to face and are made pure and sinless and, oh, it is going to be incredible. Today we are talking about security. And Cliff here is an example of the type of security that I want to point out. You don't have to stand up here anymore, I in fact, you know what? I need you to run the PowerPoint for me, so, so why don't you do that for me? Thank you. Y'all give a big hand for Cliff. So let's go back. Your, your first point that you, that you saw there is holiness doesn't lead us to Christ. Christ leads us to holiness in your program. Your second point, which you, is, is the main point today. Listen, if you're going to fall asleep, listen to this. Put it in your head. Put it in your mind. Pass out after that, okay? This is the main point today. This is what we want to to make sure you leave with. We have, and you need to know this, we have security in our relationship with Jesus Christ because we are known by Him. We have security in our relationship with Jesus Christ because we are known by Him. Now, if I'm screaming today, it's because 
like I've got some something going on with my head. It feels like an, it's in a vice, so I'm not screaming at you. I'm screaming with you, okay? So just keep that in mind. I, don't, I don't, can't tell one way or the other. Now, here's the thing. Security, we, we've really defined security since 9-11 as safety, haven't we? I mean, we've, security is in the national context of national security. And since 9-11, we have been kept safe. But that's, we all know this is not going to last forever. I mean, some dude tried to light his underwear on fire a while back and, and, and almost succeeded. I mean, here, here's my problem with this, okay? If somebody's telling you you need, you need to light yourself on fire, it's not a good thing to follow. I mean, just, that's just my own personal opinion, you know, but it's they say, hey, you know what? Here's how we're going to take down whatever. Light yourself on fire and blow yourself up. Not a good idea, all right? You know, somebody should raise their hand in the crowd and go, is there a better way? Maybe, maybe we can figure it, you know. That's not good. But this is the way we get our context, okay? The national security context. And so we think, when we think security, we think national security. Now, in your personal lives, we equate security with being comfortable. With being comfortable. The, the thought that you have is, how can I live a comfortable life? How can I live a good life, right? Because, I mean, let's face it, nobody wants to live underneath a bridge in a, in, a, in a box or a tent, right? Nobody wants that. But what we do want is we want to be comfortable in life. Now, here, here's the thing about this. There's nothing wrong with this. But the problem with this thinking is that the things that help make us comfortable are blessings from God. They are not security. They are not security. And so we need to make sure we really understand this. And I want to talk about this before we jump into the eternal security part of this message today. We need to talk about the blessings that we falsify as safety or as security. That's your next point. The blessings we falsify as security. And I, want to just, I just want to hit on two. There's, I mean, you can make anything up, really. I mean, this carpet could, could make me happy and bless me, and I could find security, wrap myself up in it and find security. I mean, you, know, you can define anything. I want, to, I want to cover two things that I think really, really cover uh, everyone. The first one is the opposite sex. The opposite sex. Boyfriend, girlfriend, husband, wife, okay? These things are blessings from God. And you as a husband and wife complement each other. As a boyfriend and girlfriend, you're trying to figure out, are we complementary to each other? You should be able to look at someone and say, you know what, they are going to help me further my relationship with Christ. My relationship with Christ is going to get stronger with this person and not get weaker. And it's not going to be hurt in any way. Now, I'm not going to go into any scripture here because we're going to talk about this in two weeks when, when my wife and I come up and, and we'll see how she does. It's going to be great. I'm telling you, it's going to be awesome. So she's already got it all written out and stuff. And then we were talking about it last night. She's like, I've got to go do it all over again. You know, so, so it's going to be great. I don't know if I'll say anything at all. Um, so, so, so we need to understand this. You do not find your security in the opposite sex. Women, and this is completely stereotypical. I understand this. I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to say it anyway. But women tend to find the, the, the need to, how can I say this without hurting anybody's feelings? They, they're looking for someone who can help them be comfortable in life. Help them to, let me write, let me read what I, exactly what I wrote down so I don't mess anybody up. 
who will they women tend to think that if they secure a husband who will have a good job in life it will allow them to be cared for this is false security false security but this is where all the single ladies is going to come in in two weeks okay part of it Men tend to think that if they secure a wife, it will fill some of the holes in their own lives and provide them the life that they have always been looking for. This is false security. Because I can tell you, being married for just five years, three kids, incredible. Five years, I know, Leif cannot fill the security hole that I need. She cannot make me feel secure as a man. And I cannot make her feel secure as a woman. Only Christ does this. We have security in our relationship with Jesus Christ because we are known by him. This is where we find our security. The second thing is money. Money. Now, our problem with money is that we tend to look at it as security. And this is a big deal in our culture, in America. I mean, the more money you have, the more secure you feel. Even with the economy, you see, you see people still feeling like money is security. The problem is this. Money is a blessing from God. It is not security. You cannot take Benjamin Franklin's home with you to heaven. God doesn't need it. You're not going to need it. I'm guessing the food is free, okay? I, I don't know how it's going to work, but we will be supplied and provided for, okay? I'm thinking all-you-can-eat pizza buffet like CeCe's or something. I don't know. It's going to be awesome, though, okay? But our problem is that we tend to place our security in money and not in Jesus, and our relationship to money has an incredible amount to say about our relationship with Jesus Christ, with our Heavenly Father. There's a guy, his name is Ben Patterson, he's a Christian author. He says, there's no such thing as being right with God and being wrong with money. Money can and will become your chief God, your chief and rival God to God if you allow it. Money can really destroy your relationship with God. Matthew 6, 21 it says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What, ask yourself this, what is my treasure? What do I long for? Do I long for money or do I long for God? Do I long for things that I can buy or do I long for God? What is of primary importance to you? Three verses later, he says, no one can serve two masters. This is Jesus, by the way. No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot, you cannot serve God and money. You cannot serve both God and money. You have to pick. And for me and for you, you probably have to pick on a daily basis, don't you? I mean, when... when, when we leave here, we'll probably go eat lunch somewhere. Some of us may not have the money. And so, you know, we want to go eat, we want to hang out, we want to have fellowship with other people, but at the same time, we have to be responsible with our money. And so when we go out and get in our car, we have to say, do I want to serve God or do I want to serve money? By the way, somebody will spot you if you don't have the money, okay? We want you there. 
All right, we, we, we got some people here that, that, can, that can hook you up, all right? Money is very, very important. Now, you're probably wondering, what does this have to do with holiness? Well, if you don't have a relationship with Christ, if you don't have it, if it's not thriving, then you're going to lose perspective on your security, on your holiness, and the holiness that God wants you to have. 1 Timothy 6.10 says, For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. The love of money, you love money, then nothing good is going to come out of you. I promise you. You're going to start bragging. You're going to start boasting. You're going to start driving fancy cars, you know. You're going to start rolling around and stop hanging out with us simple folk, you know, that kind of thing. You're going to be too big for your britches and definitely too big for ours because you have too much money if you love it. Now, please understand me here. Having a lot of money is not the root of all kinds of evil. Having a love and a passion and a lust for this money is having, is having, and, and you will have the, the root of all kinds of evil. Some people, and this is Paul, and he's saying, he's talking to Timothy, he says, some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. In other words, they saw an opportunity, perhaps business, and they said, man, well, let's go after this. Uh, no, 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 we'll start going to, we'll keep going to church. No, 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 we'll, we'll be here, we'll be, ah, man, I am swamped with work today. I'm sorry, Paul, I'm not going to be able to make it today. Hey, tell everybody I said hi. Uh, uh, sorry, Paul, today, yeah, I know it's, I know I didn't show up last month, but uh, there's going to be two Sundays, I'm going to be out on a business trip and, and this and that, you know, we're, we're getting a lot of money, we're earning some stuff, we're making this business work. And God's like, ah, man, you love money more than you love me. You need to be in the company of other believers, being encouraged and loved. And Paul says, some people that I know who were eager for money, they wanted from the faith, and what happened? They got more grief than they did money. They pierced themselves with all kinds of grief. You know, when you talk to people who are really wealthy, you know what they deal with on a, on a regular basis? Lawsuits. They deal with with money managers who they wonder, you know, can I trust them? Can I not? You know, are they really, are they, you know, how do we keep up with what they're, I mean, there's all kinds of stuff that's out there that people, I mean, aunts and uncles call you, you never talked to them before, you know, hey, how you doing? We were swinging by, wanted to come by, you know, they start hitting you up for money. People who are multimillionaires win the lotto, they have horrible lives, horrible lives, very, very few of them have money at the end of their lives because one, they don't know what to do with it and two, everybody's asking for money and they've got all kinds of grief and they love their money There's nothing wrong with being filthy rich but there is something wrong with loving it and lusting after it so keep that in mind because the problem is is that money, <laughs> it disappears, right? I mean, how many, how many of us... Uh, how many, don't raise your hand, I mean, how many of us really live from paycheck to paycheck? How many of us really can save up a ton of money? How many of us save up money, but then your child gets hurt, thrown into the emergency room, and it's all gone in an instant, right? I mean, it's just incredible how it happens. Money can find its way out of your pocketbook easily. It's amazing. I started keeping envelopes so that Lee and I could go out on dates, 
You know, because what happens is I put money in the envelope and then I completely forget it's even there. It's not in my bank account when I look on the computer, you know. And, and so when I look, I see, oh, we don't have any money to go out on a date. And then I run into this, this envelope and I'm like, yeah, right. This rocks. We got 50 bucks. When did I do this? I don't know. I can't remember it. But the problem is it disappears. And when you work, listen, here's what you're doing. When you work, you are securing something that is a temporary blessing from God. You are not securing any type of security. Jesus is the only one who gives us security. In fact, Jesus tells us how to deal with our money. Jesus, the Bible as a whole, and it gives many pointers. I want to give you two today. I want to give you two today. How to ensure that our money properly goes where it is. Number one, tithe. Number one, tithe. This is, this is a Hebrew word for a tenth. This is a Hebrew word for a tenth. Now, I, I'm not going to roll through this scripture because I want to get to the eternal security, but you can look it up for yourself. Leviticus 27, 30 through 33. This is where the tithe was instituted. This is where in, in the Old Testament, God said, I want you to give to me a tenth of your animals, a tenth of your crops, a tenth of whatever it is that I give to you. You give it back, one-tenth. That's what, that's what I want you to give back to me. Now listen, if you're rich, and when I say rich, I mean like all of your needs are provided for, okay? I don't mean necessarily your, your pocketbook can't hold all your money, you know, but if that's true, then I want to hang out. No, I'm just kidding. Um, so, so listen, if you're rich, if you have all your needs provided for, you need to give a tenth and be thankful for all that God's given you. If you are in debt, massively in debt, you need to give a tenth because God does not ask us to give according to our situations or according to the context of our lives. He asks us to give out of obedience. And listen to me. I've been in debt and I did not tithe. I started tithing and all of a sudden I was able to climb out of debt. I can't tell you how it works, but it works. I'm not telling you that it's going to be this miraculous thing and all of a sudden not only are you going to get out of debt, but you're going to start saving money, you're going to be filthy rich. It doesn't necessarily work that way and rarely does it work that way, I would say. But listen to me. If you give a tenth, you don't have to give it here, okay? If you don't like us, that's fine. I, you go give it to somebody, somebody else. I'm not, I'm not begging you for your money here. I'm begging you for your obedience in this. I want us to be so obedient to God that when we give our tithe, when we give our tenth, we see what God takes and does with the money that we have left over. Your security is not found in money or the money you get to keep. It is found in the obedience and the God that we serve. It is found in the, in the, the tenth that we give. The second thing is save. Save. Proverbs 21.5, 1 Corinthians 16.2. Both of these talk about saving. Paul talks about saving. Back up talking about tithing, Jesus goes back and reinforces in Matthew 23, 23, he talks about reinforcing that Leviticus law and tithing, okay? 
he says, he's talking to these uh, Pharisees, the bad guys, right? And he says, listen, you guys, y'all give a tenth. Man, that's great. But you know what you don't give? You don't give mercy. You don't give any kind of love. You guys are thugs portraying to be pastors is what you are. He says, you should do both. And he reinforces the tithe. So you may look at that in the Leviticus and say, oh, that's the Old Testament. But Jesus says, no, 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 you, you do this. This is honoring to me. So we should save. Saving is biblical. And listen, I, I want to point this out. You do need to get out of debt before you start saving, okay? There's no, point, there's no reason to save when you're paying interest on a credit card that's massively in, you're massively in debt to, okay? You need to save after you get out of debt if you are in debt. But it is a biblical principle to save. Now, let me, let me, let me, uh, let me illustrate this, okay? When I was um, a pastor, I was a youth pastor in first, at First Baptist Hope, Arkansas. The babyhood home of Bill Clinton. Drove by his babyhood home. Every, he didn't even remember living there. He's two years old when he moved. I had a pastor there. And um, he had served at a church. It was a small church. And he had a lady in his congregation. She didn't work. She didn't make any money. All she did was live off of what she grew and the animals that she had. So every Sunday, she would bring him eggs, a basket full of eggs, a ton of eggs. I mean, the guy ate eggs. I wish, I wish somebody would bring me eggs because then I could say, I'm sorry, this is what God provides. I could call my mom up and say, remember how you wouldn't let me eat eggs after you found out there was a ton of cholesterol? I'm eating them all the time. I'd love to do that. That wouldn't be right, would it? I'm sorry. Um, when I was, when, when, when I, well, no, before I was born, my great uncle, my great uncle, my grandfather's brother, he was a pastor at two, two churches when he was in seminary. And he'd do one church one Sunday and one church the next, and somebody else would replace him when he wasn't there. Most of these people were agrarian farmers, whatever, they grew stuff. I don't know how it works. I live in the city, right? And they, one church he called his meat church because they, all they did was give him meat. I mean, just like T-bones and real deal meat, you know, slabs of meat. I don't know where you put this in the offering plate when it's passed around, you know. It's just like, you know, throwing it on there. I don't know how it works. But this is what they tithed with. They tithed with the slab of meat. I kid you not. The other church was his vegetable church. They tithed him with carrots and cabbage and let i mean meat, all kinds of vegetables so he had his meat church and his vegetable church they gave out of what god gave had given to them and and and, and listen i i know i know it's tough because you look at your bills and you say jason i can't pay my bills if i tithe but you do it and you watch god provide or you do it, and you watch God say, you know what, you need to cut this out. You need to do this, or you need to do that. You need to change your habit. And this is, makes people feel uncomfortable because I'm telling you what to do with your money. I understand this. But I'm not telling you anything that I don't already do. Because I want us to be obedient totally to God. Now, a tenth. When you get paid, in Leviticus, it says you give of the first fruits. That means before you pay all your bills and realize you don't have anything left, that means before you go out and start spending it on restaurants and, and dates and all this other stuff, a tenth. You take one-tenth 
and set it aside for God. If you can, go ahead and take what you need, set it aside for your future, and save. And you got 80% just sitting there for you. This is amazing, right? God says, I will let you keep 80% of it. All I want you to do is be obedient to me. And I know, I know from, like, this is tough, right? Okay, hang on. I want a tenth is what he said. I want you to give me a tenth. You can save a tenth for yourself, for your future, for things that you don't know are going to come. It's always good to be prepared. And the rest, do what you want with. Pay the bills, go out to eat, have fun at Chili's. I love Chili's, you know? I mean, hey, you do what you want with it. But it is important to God that we tithe. Okay, so these are two things that we need to be aware of. That we need to know and understand that they are blessings from God, but they do not provide us security. And when we tithe, we will understand that our security, it is, remember, it is in the obedience that we find that security. Financially, anyway. It is in that obedience to God that we find that security. Now, let me talk about the security that only God gives. I wanted to point these two things out because I know many of us struggle with those two things. The security that only God gives to us is through our relationship with Him because we are known by Him. If you have your Bibles, turn to John 10. We're going to look at something real short, but it is incredibly impactful. Incredibly impactful. John 10, uh, verse 27. John 10, verse 27. Jesus is talking about, well, he's, he's actually talking to, to some people, and they say, you know, tell us, tell us if you're really the Christ. Tell, if you, tell us if you're the Messiah. And he's, he says, I already did. I told you, you know, the miracles I do, you don't see them, whatever. But he says, verse 27, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. Y'all hear that? Y'all see that? Maybe you missed it. You're still worried about the tithing? All right, come on, hang in here with me. Let's, let's focus, okay? All right, here we go. My sheep listen to my voice. Are you his sheep? Are you his follower? Do you listen to his voice? I know them, and they follow me. If you are his follower... He knows you. And here's what's cool. Okay? Here's what's very, very cool. And this is your next point. God gives us a triple security guarantee. It sounds like a cash for gold commercial, but it's true. He gives us a triple security guarantee. Let's look at it here. He says, verse 28, I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Cliff, let me get you to come back up here for a second. Jesus gives us a triple security guarantee. All right? I need somebody big. Somebody, somebody, somebody strong. Dewey, come on up here. Yeah. <laughs> Here's what, what 
Now, here's, here's what I want to illustrate. Dewey, you want to stand over? Yeah, stand over here, uh, Cliff. Here's what I want to illustrate. Jesus gives us a triple security guarantee. He says, I hold you in my hand. Give me your hand here. All right. I hold you in my hand. He says, the Father holds you in his hand. And together in their unity, they hold him together. You smell good. <sighs> now, here's what I want you to do, Dewey. I want you to give a real good effort to try to get away. Try to get away. Yeah. Don't be tricky. Cliff is strong. Get away from me. All right, thank All right. you. Y'all see this? Y'all, thank you, Dewey. Thank you, Cliff. Y'all see, y'all see what's going on here? We have a triple security guarantee. One, Jesus holds us. This is your next point. Cliff's got to get back there to show it on the screen. Jesus holds us. Two, the Father holds us. And three, together, they hold us in their unity. It is a triple security guarantee. Now, we need to understand this because here's the deal. True security is securing something. One, this is your next point. We're rolling now. This is your last point. One, it is securing something that lasts forever. Tell me what you can secure here that lasts forever. It's nothing. And two, the next thing, True security is securing something that we cannot attain for ourselves because it is given, not gotten. True security is not something you can attain for yourself. It is given, not gotten. And that is eternal life. There is no way to secure eternal life for yourself. Now, here's the thing. Dadgummit, I walked off without my marker. Here's the thing. Jeremy, can you grab those markers back there for me? Eternal life, they're back in the closet there. It's so important. Get the ones that, that aren't permanent. because Oh, that's a pain. That's a pain. Here's the thing. Eternal life is the only thing that you can have that you can't secure. You see what I'm saying? It is through your relationship with Jesus Christ that God gives you eternal life. Now, you can, you can argue with me and say, but, yeah, but if I submit my life to him, then, then I get eternal life. Yes, but he is the one that grants it to you. He is the one that pulls you home. It's over there on the right side. You might want to turn that light on. He is the one that takes you and says, you know what? You are living a life right now that when I filled your heart, I came into your life. And began, it began eternal life right then and there. Thank you. I'm just using everybody today. Let me illustrate this real quick. Here's you. Right? That's your life. That's pretty much short, sweet, in the, in the, in the context of eternity. Right? Which would go, woo, woo. You like that? In the context of eternity, it is short. We have a small life to live here. But when Jesus Christ invades your life and you say, God, I'm going to submit to you, he says, you know what? That's incredible. i got a plan for your life. I know what I want to do with you. When he comes in, eternal life starts here. And it goes on forever. Eternal life is something you cannot secure yourself. It is given. 
when you accept Him as your Lord, as your Savior, when you accept Him at the beginning, you sit down and say, God, I can't do this life on my own. This is for you. I can't. I surrender it. I surrender my life to you. And it's at that moment that Jesus Christ invades your heart and fills you with things you never ever thought about, changes your heart, your mind. He gives you eternal life that that will last forever. And you will have a home in heaven with him. It doesn't begin when you die. Eternal life, for those of us who have a relationship with Jesus Christ, has already begun. And here's what's happening. The Holy Spirit is working in our hearts, and he's making us more holy. He's making us more like Jesus himself. So that when we, I don't know, maybe it's because, ooh, almost died. So that when we meet death, and we cross over to heaven, and God's waiting for us, maybe it's not an abrupt transition. Maybe it's not this horrible, I think it will be, no matter how bad, how great heaven is, we're still pretty bad, and we're still being worked on by God. But listen, listen, listen. The Holy Spirit is working in our hearts to make us more holy, to show us that we have eternal security. And it starts here. It starts now in our lives. Our security is not safety. It is an inner peace. Your security is not guaranteed. Your, excuse me, your safety is not guaranteed. In fact, as a Christian, one of the biggest lies that you may hear is that the safest place that you can be is in the will of God. Totally false. I know missionaries who were completely in the will of God and were beheaded. I know missionaries who were in the Philippines and emailed a professor and had 24 hours to live and they were killed. But they were doing the will of God. We all have an ending point. But listen to me. God wants us to be used by Him. He wants us to be changed by Him, to be holy and to be made holy. And we have our part. And we have to be obedient to Him. But listen to me. It is so important that we understand this. Matthew 27. 27, 23. We'll close with this. 27, 21, excuse me. <laughs> Matthew 7. That's why I'm not writing that. Matthew 7, 21. 7, 21 through 23. It says this. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? Maybe you've never done any of those things, but maybe you say, Lord, I'm following you all the time. I'm doing this, I'm doing that, I'm doing this, I'm doing that. God says, but you never really followed me. You were just doing stuff. You weren't following what I asked you to do. You were just doing stuff that you thought was good. And then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. See, God wants us to be known. God wants to know you so passionately, so deeply. And if you're a guy, he wants to know you and wrestle with you. I don't know. I mean, you, you don't have to get all weird about it. Listen, listen. 
God wants us to be known by Him. Because otherwise we will not have eternity. And we will not have a home in heaven with Him. It is only through our relationship with Jesus Christ that we have eternal security. Not because we know Him, everyone knows of Him, but because we are known by Him. It is so important that we understand this. Because as you work on your relationship with Christ, you need to ask Him to know you. You need to ask Him and, and challenge yourself to be obedient so that you can, you can follow Him and that He may know you. Let me pray for us. Father, it is so important that we are known by You. You make it clear in Scripture after Scripture that we have to be known by You, God. Do not let us be taken away by the things that are just blessings from you, God. May we search you and find you. May we go after you with all of our hearts, God. Lord, we want so desperately to be known by you. Know us, God. Change our hearts and make us holy. Thank you for the eternal security that only you can give. May May we live for you. May we honor you knowing that we have that security. And so, Father, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.